listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. When I preach, I have to have a stool. My um, friends and I were two of our us old guys were preaching in Post Falls some time ago, and uh, we were all older. They let all three of us older guys preach that day, and one of them had somebody had forgotten to bring his stool out. And he said to the congregation, <clears throat> they forgot to check my stool. <laughs> we almost didn't get people straightened up. I want to say hi to all those folks over there in Pullman. Uh, let's let's uh, yell or wave at them or something there. There you go. Gosh, I remember uh, several years ago, 11 years ago, I guess, uh, my wife and I drove all the way from Coeur d'Alene down to Roger Miller and Marilyn's house to do a care group before the church ever started. We did that once a week, and we didn't mind it at all. We fell in love with, with Roger and Marilyn, and since then we have fallen in love with a lot of other people in the church, in the folks in Pullman, and a lot of you. I got to tell you, <clears throat> this is one of the hardest sermons that I will ever preach because uh, this will be the last sermon that I will preach here in uh, Moscow, Idaho, uh, unless somebody invites me back because I got lost to tell you. Before I get there, though, I got to tell you about our seniors. Our seniors are here, and they're going to serve communion in just a little bit. They, uh, the, we have uh, lots of folks. In fact, I'd like to have them to stand up where they are. If the, all the, you're over 55, would you just stand up where you are? And for those, of, there you go. Look at them back there. <clears throat> now, um, I, I, I want to share with you, our, our seniors this coming Sunday is going to have a potluck. And uh, we'd like to invite you if you're over 55 and, uh, um, you uh, need a place to belong, then you need to come to our seniors' uh, potluck this coming Sunday uh, right at noon, uh, just after church, and, and uh, I think you will enjoy that. Now, some folks say, well, I don't like to be around old folks. Well, I don't like to be around old folks either. <laughs> but I are one, so I guess every time I look in the mirror, I have to remind myself, well, that's an old folk there, so I can't get away from it. Here's the Here's our mission statement from our seniors. I just want to share this with you. Contagious joy of the Lord is our strength. There are more mountains to climb, and we will not retire from life but retread. We will use our giftedness to reach out to win the world for Jesus one person at a time. What do you think of that? Our, our folks, uh, our senior folks are not ready to quit. You know, uh, getting older is, uh, has its good things and it has its bad. You can go to McDonald's and get a cup of coffee, a senior coffee, at half price. used to be half price. I haven't tried that for a while. They may have doubled it now. But, you know, uh, the other thing as we get old, there's lots of things that happen. Now, I figured out that as we get old, we are, we, um, um, we have more knowledge in this noggin of ours. Our head begins to fill up. 
And when it gets full, I have figured out why there are other places on our body that swells out. (laughs) You know, it's interesting about seniors. There are some seniors who dry up and there are some who blow up. My wife is one of the first ones and I kind of like to fill in that, that last one. I, I remember Bob Moorhead telling about this little old lady um, that was at, he was at a large church over in Seattle some time ago. And Bob, as I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to preach an expository sermon, which means that I'm going to take some scripture and I'm going to explain the scripture to you because this is the last sermon that I will ever get to share with you. So I'm going to tell you a few things in a little bit. Bob Moorhead always uh, preached expository sermons And this little old lady came out, and she was only weighed about 90 pounds, soaking wet. She walked up to him, and she said, Brother Bob, I sure like that suppository preaching that you do. (laughs) Well, uh, whether it's suppository or expository, uh, I like like expository preaching. I uh, was thinking about uh, Patrick McManus's quote some time ago. You guys know who Patrick McManus is. He wrote, They Don't Shoot Canoes, Do They, and a lot of other books. He says, Camping is a fine and pleasant misery. Well, I got to tell you that saying goodbye is a fine and pleasant misery. This is hard for me. It's hard for my wife. But we believe we're in the center of God's will. Now, I'm going to begin tonight by reminding you, in Gene Gett's book, The Measure of a Church, he asked some questions about what the church would look like. How would you describe a church that you feel like is in God's will? Would it be a growing church? Would it be a disciple-making church? Would it be a church that gives a lot? Would it be a church where we sing uh, Secular songs? Were we saying worship songs? Were we saying hymns? Is that the church that we believe that God has established for us to attend? Well, I want you to turn, take your Bibles now and turn to, if you have them with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 here uh, right now as we share in this, this uh, um, last message that I want to share with you. What would, what would the Lord as the church want from you? In verse one, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. <clears throat> what he says here is that the church that God is looking for is one who walks worthy of the calling. The word calling here sometimes is translated vocation. A church that walks worthy of the vocation with which you are called. One fellow said some time ago when somebody asked him, what he did for a living. He said, I'm a Christian, but I work construction to pay my way. Now, when we think about what Paul is encouraging us to do, that ought to be 
that ought to be our battle cry. I'm a Christian. God has made me so that my vocation is that I'm a Christian, but I do other things to pay my way. When I was in Riverton, Wyoming several years ago, I was working at a store. A fella came in in a semi-truck. He uh, had, uh, while he was traveling from Denver to Riverton, where we were at, he had hit an antelope and bent his bumper. And he uh, bent it pretty bad. And you could tell his face was all red and he was mad. He started throwing around F-bombs like you couldn't believe. And, and I didn't say anything for a while as we helped him unload the merchandise that he was bringing to us. And then he went through the store using the same F-bombs. And finally, I went up and tapped him on the shoulder. And I said, hey, you know, we would just as soon that you didn't use that kind of language around other people, our customers and other people. He hung his head. His face got red. And he looked at me and uh, he walked away. Then he came back in a little while and he had tears in his eyes and he said, you know, I'm a deacon at my church that I attend in Denver. And I said, well, you wouldn't have known it by your language. I was not easy on him at all. And he apologized to me. And folks, I want, I want to tell you that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, that you are an epistle written and on, the, on our hearts, known and read by all men. You're preaching a gospel a chapter each day by the deeds you do and the things you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Paul says here that the church ought to walk worthy of the vocation through which God has called us to. Now I want you to look at verse 2. He says we're to do this with all lowliness, having a sense of, that's uh, the idea of lowliness here, is that having a sense of one's moral littleness with meekness or gentleness. One who is not filled with pride. A young fellow who was a freshman in Bible college, who, by the way, freshmen in Bible college are the smartest person that they will ever be in their life. He came home to his home church and the preacher of the church asked him to pray. He stepped to the pulpit and he began praying like this. Almighty God, the God of Rehoboam and Jeroboam and, and uh, all those other born boys, he said. When he got finished, the preacher stepped to the pulpit and he said, now let us throw up. What Paul says is that the church that is the church that God has planted is full of lowliness and meekness and gentleness. And he goes on to say that this church that we're talking about is, has patience and long-suffering. Several years ago, I heard about a fellow and his wife who lost a son who was killed by a drunk driver. He was 18 years old. He's their only son. He dogged the courts to make sure that, uh, that this young fellow who was drunk and, and uh, ran off the road uh, uh, hit his son head on and, uh, and killed him, made sure that he went to prison. And then as a Christian, he got to thinking about it. Maybe he thought, I ought to go. I ought to go see this fellow. And so he made a trip to the prison. He interviewed him and saw that the young fellow had a contrite heart, 
apologized to him for uh, killing his only son. The next time he went back, he took a plate of cookies with him. When that young fellow got out of prison, him and his wife invited him to their home. They kept him in their home for over a year, led him to the Lord. He became the surrogate son that they had lost. And when he had married and had kids, they claimed them as their own grandkids. That's patience. That's what the church should be full of. Paul goes on to say here in verse 3, in endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace, uh, forbearing or enduring, keeping the, this oneness in, uh, in the body. And uh, I got to tell you, I think the Real Life Ministries has lots of oneness. I, uh, this has been quite a ride for us, seeing people come to know the Lord here seeing you love on each other, cry with each other. When I go to men's retreats or men's breakfasts and I see our men uh, holding each other, weeping together, sharing their life together, folks, that's what the church is all about. That's, that's what Paul says. The church that God wants is one who works at keeping the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, Someone has said that preachers are pediatricians. They speak mostly to children. Now, you can take that for whatever you want to. I thought it was kind of funny, but obviously you don't. So, hello. <laughs> is this going through? You guys hearing me okay? What, what, the, what the fellow was indicating by this is that sometimes uh, preachers take care of too many babies. They're always putting out fires. They're always trying to keep people on one side of the aisle from staring at the other persons on the other side of the aisle. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, when I was a child, I thought and acted like a child, but now that I'm a man, I put away childish things. God wants us to grow up and look like, act like adults. Now the second thing, not only does he want us to walk worthy, the church that pleases God needs to walk worthy, but he says in verses 7 through 12 that we should serve humbly. Let's read starting in verse 7. But to each one of, of uh, us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended when uh, uh, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, there's some differences of opinion about that verse, but most contend that when Jesus was in the grave, that he went and preached to all those folks in the Old Testament who had good hearts, who'd lived according to the law. And he moved them from a place or abode in heaven to a place where they could be with Christ. You can Disagree if you want to, but not all of us can be right. You know, some of us can. But uh, he, he goes on to say, and he himself gave, gave some to be apostles and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Jesus descended, but he also ascended. But before he did that, he gave gifts unto men. Now, folks, listen to me. Every person that's a part of the body of Jesus has a gift. 
I believe there's two different kinds of gifts, and I share this with Sarah every time I'm out there setting up tables and chairs. We have a primary gift, which is our passion. We have a secondary gift that's setting up tables and chairs or doing whatever the church needs. When I was senior pastor, which I'm about to be again, (laughs) when I was senior pastor, I would never hire a youth minister unless he convinced me that he could set up tables and chairs. My, My encouragement to him is that if you're too big to set up tables and chairs, we don't want you on the staff. Because in this gift that God has given to us, he has given every person a gift. That means that all of us have differing gifts. Not all of us can sing. I heard about this young fellow who was asked to sing on a Sunday morning. And gosh, it would have made uh, pigs put their paws over their ears. It was so bad. This older gentleman came up to him after church and he said, son, I know you did your best, but whoever asked you to sing ought to be shot. Well, you know, not all of us have the gift to sing. Now, isn't it interesting that God has placed in the body people with all kinds of differing gifts? It's our responsibility to find out what our gift is and use it. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 17, he says, some of them were wanting to always be seen and, and be heard of everybody else. He said, if the whole body were an eye, where would the herring be? Can you imagine if I was sitting up here preaching and all I could see was a big old bunch of eyeballs sitting out there in the audience. (laughs) He says, not everybody has the same gift. When I look out on here on Sunday morning or even tonight, I'm reminded that we don't all have the same gift. He gave some to be apostles. Listen, I don't believe there's any more apostles I believe that we're blessed by the apostles and what I'm reading to you is something the apostles gave to us. The apostles were able to pen the words that the Spirit directed them to and we have their gift given to us in the Word. But he goes on to say that he gave some to be uh, uh, evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers and for the edifying of the church, for the building up of the church. Now, I was the pulpit pastor for 31 years. I wasn't the best pulpit pastor in the world, but I didn't feel like I was the worst preacher in the world either. When I came to Real Life Ministries, I knew that I would probably not preach very much, if any at all. And I I struggle with that because I had to ask myself, um, how can I go there because I know that my son and Jim Putman both are better preachers than I am? Why would I want to force my gift on them when they can do a better job than me, when the body does not need my gift at the time? So I have to figure out what my gift is. So you know what? I started working with couples. My prayer was when my wife and I moved from Missoula to Post Falls, Coeur d'Alene, that I could be an encourager to Jim and Aaron. And I'm here to say 
that I sent Jim Putman. I raised money to send him and his family to Hawaii on a trip. I raised money to send him on an elk hunting trip. Uh, I was praying for those boys. I reminded them every time I saw them and I put my arms around them that I loved them. Things that I'd always wanted somebody to do for me because I knew that my giftedness was not needed in the body in Post Falls. Now, I got to tell you, some time ago, my wife and I decided that maybe it was time for us to move closer to our daughter. She's been wanting us to live closer to her for a long time. And so uh, we had made up our mind, if God worked it out, then probably that's exactly what we should do. So I was visiting with a fellow that I'd led to the Lord, helped him and his wife, saved them from divorcing, and uh, the Lord did with, with a little nurture from me. And uh, we were talking, and I said, you know, Roger, I'm thinking about uh, moving closer to our daughter. He said, now there's a, there's a church that you ought to consider being the pastor of. And I said, really? Tell me about this church. So he said, well, it's Pablo, Montana. Now, I laughed in his ear because when Roger graduated from Bible college and I was in Missoula, he called me looking for a church and I said, you need to call Pablo, Montana. And so here, here I, I, I called the guys, then Pablo, Montana, within two hours, one of the guys called me all the way from from Las Vegas, Lost Wages. And, uh, and uh, he said, would you come and be our preacher? Now, folks, what I, what I found out was they've been praying for a preacher over there for eight years. God knew that. Now, he knew that my giftedness, when I went over there and preached for him the other, the other day, 35 or 40 people in the congregation, you'd have thought Billy Graham was speaking to them. I mean, I forever call, waxed eloquent. And uh, they, they had a meeting the next Sunday and they said, Charlie, we believe that, you, that we want you to come and be our preacher. And so I, as of the 1st of April, my wife and I are no longer employed by Real Life Ministries. We're going to be the pastor of a mega church of 35 people in Pablo, Montana. <laughs> Now, I want to tell you that I, I, I hope you guys are in no hurry because, uh, you know, I don't get to do this very often, so we may be here till 10 o'clock. I don't know. And the more you applaud and laugh, the worse I am. So this is going to take a while, I can tell you that. Folks, this body has people who uh, serve in capacities that you might be surprised about. We have a gal in our church who is a pediatrician who stacks papers in the nursery. We have a fellow, and I'm going to embarrass him by saying this. He's a retired admiral. He and his wife are here tonight. They're leading our seniors ministry. Uh, we had a fellow in Pullman who was a bone surgeon. He worked in the nursery. When the body is willing to let God use their gifts to encourage the body, it's amazing what takes place, isn't it? Hello, is this on? 
Now, thirdly then, uh, in verses 13 through 16, let's look at that real quick till till we, we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful uh, plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, by whom every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Listen, there is no I in team. A church body that has a bunch of people who uh, are looking to bring glory to themselves will, first of all, never be useful in the body. But they'll also never be blessed of God. I read an article some time ago about the Colorado Rockies. Several years ago, they had the the highest percentage of pitching team, they had the highest percentage hitters of any any team in the whole than the whole baseball league. But a sports writer had written an article and suggested, and they didn't. He suggested they could never win a pennant or the World Series because they couldn't play as a team. The church that God loves learns to get along with each other. Isn't that true? You know, some people are like porcupines. (laughs) They're kind of cute, but they're really hard to get close to. When everyone has the same goal, amazing things happen. Now, what he says in verse 15 is that we're to confront each other in love. I hesitate to wonder sometimes what, the, what would have happened to the church had there not been some instruction about how to deal with conflict. Because the church and the New Testament folks were stiff-necked people. They had a hard time getting along. But what Paul says here is that we're to speak the truth in love. Uh, truth without love is cold and prickly and hard, hard to take. In fact, sometimes it's divisive. You can always be truthful with people. My mom had a philosophy. Her philosophy was, if you think it, you might as well say it. And I said, mom, if I felt that way, I'd be in trouble most of my life. (laughs) Truth without love is cold and prickly, and it does not bring harmony. Love without truth It has no backbone. There is no foundation. There's no boundaries. But folks, when we put the two of them together, it's amazing what happens when the church works together. What Paul says here, when every ligament fits together, every person, every member of the body has something that they can do. What, the church bubbles like a big Alka-Seltzer when, when things are going on. It, it, it's true. When, when, the, when people are getting along and they love each other and, they, and they, uh, they look forward to being with each other, it's amazing how good it feels when we're in church with each other. In the Tower of Babel, you remember in Genesis chapter 11, they worked together to build this tower and God said, as he looked down on them, now nothing is impossible for them because they can accomplish whatever they seek to accomplish. But when you've got people who are angry and bitter and hard to get along with, 
It's like having an arm that won't work. It affects the body. The body is suffering because sometimes people will not use their abilities and encourage the body, but they bring uh, disgrace to it. Henry Blackaby says that our responsibility is to find out where God's working and get in it. And I've said that to I don't know how many couples when they come in, well, we're looking for a church home. And my words are always in to them, you've found the right place. But here's the thing. You need to make sure that this is where God is working and you get in it. That's what every person who is sitting here, what we need to start asking ourselves is what part of the body are we? What does the church look like if, if every church member were a member just like me? What kind of church would this church be? In Psalms chapter 133, Aaron used this verse last week. The psalmist says, how beautiful and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. In Jesus' prayer, you remember, he says, Lord, Father, I do not pray for those, these alone, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through your word, that they may be one as you and I, you are in me and I in you. They may also be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. The world can never be one until the church becomes one. Nobody wants to be in a church where there's a bunch of old sourpusses. I'm glad Real Life Ministries is not like that. I don't know of any sourpusses here. If you were, I'd be the first to tell you. See, you can't fire me. I only got two more weeks left. You, I can just say, I can just say whatever I want. I can, I can preach about whatever I want. There's so much freedom that I feel right now. I ought to preach another half hour. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm about to finish. Actually, I am about to finish. But I, there's another verse I want to remind you about in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Paul and Barnabas had been called at the church at Antioch. They were the leaders in Antioch. But the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas away. They were the teachers. They were spirit-inspired. But the Holy Spirit said, set aside Paul and Barnabas so that, um, that because I've got work for them to do. That was when they went on their first missionary journey. Now listen, every time somebody that you look up to as a leader leads, God will fill the hole. Those people in Antioch had to step up. When your leaders who are, have been here and established the church leave, you're going to have to step up. I had a friend tell me some time ago, I was looking for him for comfort. Little did I know I wasn't going to get it from him. But he said, uh, when I asked him, uh, you think I, ought to, I was talking about going to another church. I felt like God had called me there, and I, I wanted him to say, no, Charlie, we don't want you to go. He said, you know, you can take a bucket of water, put your hand down in the water, pull it out. If the hole stays there, they can't do without you. If it closes back up, then you can be replaced. I said, thanks. That's exactly what I was looking for right there. <laughs> 
I'm telling you folks that God intends for the church to close its wounds. When my toe itches, my brain tells my pointer, you go down there and help the old boy out. And listen, when everybody, every person, every part of the body is doing its, its, its part, then the body functions as God has designed it for it to. You know, our men on Tuesday morning, we have a men's group on Tuesday morning. We're reading, we have, we're just finished Francis Frankopane's uh, book called Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God. I want to read to you the last little paragraph as we think about the Lord's Supper. In fact, those who are going to serve our seniors can go back there and get ready for this as we think about the Lord's Supper. But here's what he says. Finally, simply do what you know to do. If you stumble, get up. If you win, repent. Whatever you do, in spite of your feelings, do not lose your vision of Christ's likeness. Your vision is your surest hope. Guard it. If you are faithful to your goal of Christ's likeness, God will give you the grace to live in his presence. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Folks, it can't be much simpler than that. Get up. Now, I want to give you the four things. Excuse me, as our seniors pass the offering plates, or they're, they're passing the communion plates. Uh, I want to give you four things that you can use in your home group this coming week. What would happen uh, for you, what would have to happen for you to model Jesus in your life? What would that look like for you? Would people around you know that you're a Christian? The scripture says that they took note of the apostles that they had been with Jesus. What would that look like? Then number two, what part of the body do you believe you are? If God has given us everybody gifts, primary gift, secondary gift, if God has given us gifts and you're sitting in the pew and you're not using your gift, then shame on you. Because all you're doing is slowing the body down. You're not helping the body, you're slowing it down. Number three, what could you do to promote our church body to serve together in harmony? If you know of two people that are at odds with each other in the Lord's body, you know what your responsibility is? You go talk to them and make sure that they are able to visit with each other and pray with them so that it gets worked out. And then finally, what is the difference between a church that exhibits unity or disharmony. What would a church look like in the eyes of God that is doing his will? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, when you take a piece of bread, isn't it all one piece? Now, I don't know how they did this in the New Testament. I kind of think that they probably took a loaf and they broke the loaf into pieces, but they had one whole loaf. I like to think that somewhere in a factory somewhere, 
This used to be a great big old sheet of little pieces that they did. You know, sometimes in, in times past when we've taken communion or the Lord's Supper, we've taken a piece of bread and we've just passed it around and let everybody rip a piece off. Because Paul says, this should remind you that all of us are a part of each other. You're a part of me. I'm a part of you. If we're part of the same body, then all of us serve in one capacity to allow Jesus to be recognized in our life. And so on this special time, this special night, Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, when you do this, remember. Will you remember? Let's remember right now. And as Jesus took the cup of redemption, Surely Jesus knew this was the fourth cup. And he said, this is my blood. This has redemptive power in it, folks. I've said numbers of times when I'm being a part of the Lord's Supper that I could be a thousand other places tonight, but I choose to be around the Lord's table to remember. And so Jesus said, when you do this, will you remember? Let's remember. Tonight, Father, we are so blessed to be a part of your body. God, you've given all of us a privilege. You've gifted all of us in some way. Our gifts have been, your gifts have been given to us to bless the body so that we can be, your body can be nurtured. God, may we never sit in the seat and allow the, uh, ourselves to be a parasite where we're spiritual parasite where we just continue to drink up all the spiritual things but we never share anything with the body. Lord, we, want, we, want, we know that you want us to function together as a whole, Jesus being our head, giving us direction. So tonight in every heart here, my prayer is that we will commit ourselves to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.